0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production.
1: Hi, and welcome to another edition of Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast that looks at current films and cinemas and ties them to films from days gone by and hopefully introduces you to some new and older titles that you may not be familiar with. But this week, it's a special week. We're in the middle of Film Fest season. Fall Film Fest season is one of Karsten and I's favorite times of year to go see new movies or normally we would go but uh, now we're watching them at home because all the film fests are digital. By the way I'm Stephen Cook and I'm an arts writer here in Halifax with
0: the Chronicle Herald. My name's is Karsten Knox. I have a film blog called Flaw in the Iris you can find at halifaxbloggers.ca. I'm also the CTV movie guru. And uh, right now we're in the heart
1: of the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival which has embarked on its inaugural and some might hope, final (laughs) film stream program. Uh, Everything is online. Uh, They have nightly galas, which are only available for a short period of time, and then they have other titles that are available through the course of the week. Uh, Karsten has also uh, indulged himself in a pass to uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, and uh, and I watched one film from Montreal's fabulous Fantasia Film Fest. So uh, this is definitely... if not the way of the future, a a bridge to getting us to a point when we can all go back to film fests and enjoy them together. And we're going to be talking about all these events coming up right after this.
0: So, Stephen, as you mentioned, we are here at Lensmere Ears talking about the online film festival season this year. And, uh, you know, I think... You're right. There are some people who are not a fond of go, of watching film festival movies on their computers and or or projecting to their, you know, whatever they've got at home. Uh, I have spoken to some local people in the, you know, film community who are who are just the the in-person experience is so important to them and the the part of the festival where you rub elbows with other Cinephiles and you talk about the movies you're seeing and and that builds a buzz and an excitement around the films in person. That is an essential part of the of the experience. So they're just less engaged and and I guess I can understand that. I mean, for me, I'm definitely missing that part of it. But uh, the the there are some pluses for having a film festival online. And uh, I guess one of that, the the immediate one that comes to mind is that people from around the region who couldn't make it to Halifax to see the film festival can, as long as they have decent, uh, internet, they can watch it and an internet and I guess a credit card. Uh, yes. but it's,
1: yeah, it's a big plus for sure.
0: But you know, and that's great. But, uh, cause it is geo locked to this region for the Atlantic film festival. You have to be in Atlantic Canada in order to enjoy it and, and, uh, watch it. Um, now, uh, of course, not everybody in Atlanta, Canada has into the Internet that would be fast enough to stream films, which is, I, I think, uh, you know, something obviously the government has talked about them improving that situation, but uh, we're not there yet. But for I think a lot of people, certainly in the major centers. Uh, the internet is good enough, Wi-Fi is good enough that uh, they can they can do that. Uh, so that sort of democratizes the thing. Hopefully, I'll, I'd be really interested to see how many people are taking advantage of the film festival online this year that maybe in other years wouldn't. Um, and I, as, as you mentioned, I also watched. Uh, a few films from TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, and it uh, made available, not its entire program, but many of the films that it was showing online to the entire country. So that was, you know, a week of watching uh, great films as well, and that was a real treat. And then coming up, Uh, At the end of this week, um, I guess we're recording on a Sunday. This will probably go up on Monday or Tuesday, this uh, podcast. And it will air, of course, on CKDU on Tuesday afternoon. But um, uh, yeah, at the end of this week, the uh, Lunenburg Dockfest starts. And so there's even more films yes. available for to watch. So there's a lot And then and then devour in October, so <laughs> Yeah. It just yeah. keeps going and going. It just keeps going. And so, you know, that's that's a lot to uh, take in and uh yeah, I mean I I have certainly enjoyed the the uh, the availability of these films online. I've enjoyed uh the chance to watch films at TIFF and not have to go to Toronto to do it. I I am I am enjoying Finn, uh certainly uh, obviously, in, all these festivals are dealing with fewer films this year, uh, but there's still a, a fair amount of quality amongst them, and uh, and there are and there's also the flexibility. All right, so for instance, in Fin, Fin, I should say this for people who don't know, um, the galas are available for a short period of time. For like, if if they come available at seven o'clock one evening, you can watch them over the course of the next day. But uh, all the other films are available through the whole week, which, uh, yeah, which is a, a nice flexibility. I mean, usually when I'm going through the festival guide trying to decide what to watch, I have to make some tough decisions because inevitably there are two feature films or some shorts that are conflicting with each other, and I have to choose to see one over the other. Occasionally, of course, I'm lucky enough to see things in advance, especially if they're local films, because I reach out to the filmmakers or the distributors, and I ask them to send me a screener, and that often is the case that I'll, I'll get to see them in advance. That's what happened this year as well. But uh, but yeah, it's nice to be able to pick and choose and when to watch things and uh, and not feel uh, as conflicted uh, if you have access to the whole program, So which I do. So uh, so yeah, that that's a plus for me.
1: There's also the case with my advancing years where if I've been watching movies since 10 in the morning and there's like a late night screening of something I really want to see, I don't want to have to worry about dozing off in the middle of it, which is not an unusual phenomenon when you're trying to do, you know, 12 to 14 or 15 hours of a film fest in one fell swoop. Um, And, uh, you know, you can always either start watching it late at night or just save it for the next day or watch it. Whenever it's convenient, uh, th- that's always a, that's a kind of a nice bonus, too, to be able to have that option. But uh, there aren't so many late night type uh, programs. I know uh, Books of Blood, uh, we're taping on Sunday and Books of Blood, the Clive Barker anthology is on tonight. But of course, it's at a reasonable 730. But, uh, you know, I, I do. There is a certain energy about those midnight screenings. But sometimes uh, they can be a, a bit of a chore if you've been going at it since uh, since early in the morning.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, for those of us who are, uh, you know, as you say, the advancing years or who just <laughs> like, I mean, you know, let's face it. Uh, I have done the film festival days where you see four, maybe more films uh, in one day. And it's it's a lot. And and doing it from home. Uh, it actually it capitalizes on, on your time. You don't actually have to travel to the film fest to the cinema and and manage. You know you can eat your your lunch while you're watching a film. Sometimes you know it's like those kinds of things. Uh, time management is uh, is a plus <laughs> in this circumstance. And and I gather from what uh, Wayne Carter said right in advance of the opening night gala, uh, which was falling, um, that he that this is something that will continue in some capacity. There will be an online Uh, aspect to the film festival going forward even if by next year we're all gathering together in the cinema again Um,
1: yeah i think at the very least the atlantic made features and shorts and docs will be available for the entire atlantic audience and and maybe and maybe the canadian ones as well um, because we just don't get a chance to see these on big screens or even small screens and when they go to streaming they're often just shunted off into the corners of various platforms, you don't even know they exist. So I think that, um, you know, making that stuff available so that people can connect with their own local and national film uh, is, is a great idea. And then I'm sure some of the other international uh, product will be available to watch as well. But, um, you know, there's, there's certainly uh, sort of a, a light for local filmmakers who know that, uh, you know, as things continue, their work is going to be seen, which I think, you know, when you're making a, a, even a 10 minute short for pocket change, uh, you know, with your iPhone. Uh, you know, you're making it because you want people to see it, not because you expect to to uh, make any money off of it or anything like that. And that's that's the main thing, and that's what this does for, for those filmmakers.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the films I saw at TIFF. Now, I wanted to highlight just a couple of them. I saw six or seven, but uh, I wanted to, uh, to, to mention my favorites just so people – who are in the months ahead, you know, these films will get some kind of release, um, can keep their eyes open for them. One of of the films I saw was Nomadland. This is written and directed by Chloe Zhao, who is known, I think, probably for her film The Writer, which had kind of a cult following. Certainly, um, I know some fans of it here in town who who really like that film. Um, Nomadland is based on a nonfiction book called Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century. It's writer uh, Jessica Bruder also wrote an article for Harper's, which you can find online and it informs the screenplay. and uh, uh, Zhao is is known for using non actors in her films, including you know known actors so uh, and she does that here again. And it's basically the story of itinerant uh, Americans who uh, lost everything during the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 and make their living they live in vans and they live in the desert and then they find work where they can often for huge corporations like amazon um and uh it is a uh, it's a really moving beautiful film it stars Frances mcdormand uh as a character who worked in a small town in nevada with a mining town her husband dies and uh she lo- loses her her home and and uh and she uh yeah then she's off on the road and she's someone who's very self-sufficient but she's also someone who needs a certain amount of community and there's a certain tension there it's a beautiful looking film as well um and uh david strathairn shows up he's always a welcome presence in film and anyway it's it's a lovely lovely film and it has a lot to say about i think where we are in our in our world and, and what people are are doing to have to survive uh, right now. Uh, anyway, so the film's called Nomadland, and look for it to be a, a contender come awards season, for sure. I also saw an Indian film called The Disciple, written and directed by, and excuse my pronunciation here, Chetjana Tamhain. Uh, and he is a filmmaker who I had seen one film of his at Carbon Arc a few years ago uh, called Court. Uh, he makes kind of arthouse house films in a style which I think is probably a little more Western than some of the films coming out of India, certain out of Bollywood. Um, the Disciple is about a, a young man who uh, believes very strongly in being a, uh, wants to be a classical musician in the Indian classical music and uh, really struggles at it. And we visited him at different times of his life where he's become disenchanted with pursuing his art, disenchanted with with uh, the fact that he has limitations. I, I feel like it's the kind of movie for anyone who has tried to put art into the world and struggled with their self-esteem or self-worth around it will relate to it. It's a it's a really gorgeous, very nuanced film. And uh, it's called, again, The Disciple. And uh, I hopefully will get some kind of release here. So, Stephen, you also wanted to mention the film you saw at Fantasia. What was it?
1: Yeah, that was my first online film festival experience, really, and it was uh, Fantasia. Of course, is a a festival based out of Montreal. I actually attended it in person one year and got to see a bunch of very cool action films and stuff from uh, from the then vibrant Hong Kong. Film industry that was very exciting and and uh, you know just a couple of days worth of programming but but still all very exciting and new it's all sort of genre action horror sci-fi you know the the, the kind of the kind of but films that uh, maybe aren't franchises or big studio productions but have a little edge to them and uh, are, are a little bit from the fringe and uh, so I was very excited that I was going to be able to see some of their programming online and I managed to catch a Canadian shot film called For the Sake of Vicious. Which is uh, was made by um, a pair of filmmakers who collaborated on the screenplay and then co-directed uh, Gabriel Carr- Carrer and uh, Reese Evanson. Uh, one of the reasons I watched it is because the lead actor uh, Nick Smythe, is uh, originally from Halifax. Uh, he was on Street Sense. For those who uh, remember Street Sense, so the kids consumer program that was shot out of Halifax um, and then he went on to uh, to be uh, an actor and uh, and writer in uh, in Toronto and a very very engaging uh, performer very likable guy and here he plays uh, a man on a mission of revenge he wants to get the guy who um, uh, assaulted his daughter and, uh, and and caused her demise and he so he's he's basically kidnapped the guy he thinks is responsible but then it turns out that uh, things aren't what they seem and uh the woman he's holding this person captive in her in her house this nurse named uh laura um or sorry romina uh they get caught up in the middle of a brutal home invasion at the same time so it's it's basically kind of a siege um you know assault on precinct 13 kind of thing uh but with this um with a few modern twists and it's also quite violent so but it's also got a lot of humor and it's only 80 minutes long so it was shot uh shot in a house in cambridge uh they found a house that was about to be torn down so they decided well let's make a film here we can uh we can destroy it over the course of making this movie we don't have to worry about uh you know not being able to go full bore with our action scenes and it you know so i think it's pretty effective it definitely goes for broke in a lot of the stuff that it does and uh like I say, I played at Fantasia and my experience there was very good. I was able to get my ticket and log online uh, with no problems, no problems with viewing the film, the stream. You know, even though I was watching on a laptop with Wi Fi, uh, there were no hiccups, no glitches. Uh, and the, so that sort of uh, spoke well for my uh, experience to come because my Finn experience with Finn, Strim, Finn Stream has also been very good. I, I don't think I've had too many issues apart from. Uh, a couple of films and it may be the way they've been encoded or uploaded or whatever. You can't make them full screen. So, I, you know, cause I, I've actually got my laptop hooked up to the TV with an HDMI cable, but I wind up with the, you know, the, the tabs across the top and the taskbar across the bottom. And I'm sure there's a way to get around this, but uh, you know, some films have the little square in the bottom where you just click on it and it immediately fills your screen without all that other stuff. But uh, some of the films don't seem to have that. So it's, but uh, again, we're getting into the weeds here, but it's it's a weird little annoyance because it just seems to distract ever so slightly from from the experience.
0: Hmm, that's weird. I, I, I do the same thing, but I haven't encountered that yet. But maybe it's just not the films that I've watched. And it might
1: be the browser I'm using too. So, um, yeah. but like yeah. I say, some it's good to
0: try different browsers. Exactly. For sure. Or play with,
1: I play with the Zoom button on my TV set. And if it's a film with subtitles, that can be an issue. But if it doesn't, then I can, you know, that's my workaround.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, speaking of Finn, uh the opening gala film was Falling. This is uh the film from Oscar nominated actor and movie star Viggo Mortensen. He's trying his hand as an auteur in this uh Canadian, UK, Denmark international co-pro, a domestic drama, and it's about the relationship between a, a adult son, uh John played by Mortensen and his his father who is in his 80s played by Lance Henriksen, Willis who is struggling with dementia to some degree, but mostly he's just got an endless supply of rage against the world. And uh, I really, really dislike <laughs> the film. Um, I won't, I won't beat around the bush here. I mean, I, I understand, <laughs> I understand what Mortensen was trying to do. You know, trying to show how compassion, uh, how effective that can be in order to deal with someone who is just angry and spiteful at the world i just didn't believe it i just had a hard time believing my understanding of human nature is that someone who was raised by someone like this who is so awful and and we get flashbacks we see how bad you know he's always been he's always been abusive to his family even when when these his kids were just kids and uh i just i just didn't believe that that uh that Mortensen and his sister played by Laura Linney would have the kind of compassion that they show here. I just, I was watching this sort of my jaw on the floor going like, I just don't buy it. This isn't, I, you know, and if, if they are so, you know, healthy and well-developed and able to muster this kind of, uh, of compassion, then I want to understand how that's possible. Like, did they have years of therapy? You know, what was the deal? Uh, so yeah, I basically, and, and then, you know, um, Hendrickson is going so big with his, frustration and his anger that uh i just was like uh right where's the nuance in his performance like i i I didn't anyway all all the way i tried to i tried to absorb the film i i I couldn't get around any of that so uh so yeah i was it was a big lose 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 for me but i I sounds like you liked it a little better than i did yeah
1: i'll be the ebert to your siskel here and say that i i i did like lance's performance henriks's performance it is over the top for sure uh And uh, and and maybe it just had to be that way that uh, so that some people could maybe identify members of their family in his performance. Um, You know, everybody's got that one relative that they they can't stand or they just have to put up with. Uh, But in this case, it's John's father. I think um, I think he feels some sort of obligation to him, even though, as we see that in the flashbacks with Sphere or Gunderson, Who's who's very good, the Icelandic actor who you probably remember from playing Bjorn Borg in Borg versus McEnroe. Um, yeah, I do remember him. Too. Uh, you know, maybe you know his performance is certainly a little more nuanced than Henrikson's, but uh, you know, I, I I feel that John's character feels like he owes some sort of debt to his dad, and and I think early on they hint that John's been through some stuff. They don't go into it, but you know, he talks about why he doesn't drink anymore, and and uh, and, and, and other things. And I think maybe he's at some point in his life, maybe he saw him going down a, a similar kind of path. And he just uh, wants to show his dad that he's the better man, that he managed to survive his childhood and come out of it a better person, despite all the things that he put on him. So I, I, I think I did find maybe a little more human humanity in there somewhere. But you're right. You do have to dig for it. Um, hmm. and, uh, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it'll probably be a pretty even split by between people who just say, yeah, I would have just left them on that farm and let them rot. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I, yeah, this might say more about me than it does about the <laughs> film. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of, you know,
1: and I'm, I'm sure like a lot of this will depend on their own family relationships, their own relationships with their parents. You know, I, my father passed away. It'll be 10 years in January. And, you know, I felt at the time, you know, there, maybe there were some unresolved things, the things we could have tried to deal with or whatever but it wasn't you know it just didn't feel like the time or place or what have you so i, I i'm probably feeling some not, not survivor guilt but but something like that like i feel some pangs about you know my dad who's a pretty old school dad you know he he was you know he wasn't the kind of dad who was like trying to be friends with his son you know he was definitely like the authority figure and uh, the man in charge kind of thing um you know not to the extent that, that Willis is in this film for sure uh you know he he wasn't abusive he wasn't a, a, a racist or what have you but he was kind of an old school man of the you know 40s and 50s so i i guess maybe i just saw a little bit more of of him in this uh in this performance and somebody who's had a different experience will probably have a completely different reaction to this film
0: yeah i don't know that i don't think my problem was so much henrikson as it was I just didn't buy sure. the uh, response of the of his children, and uh, and also that they would expose their own children to this kind of, uh, I mean, frankly, let's put it, let's say what it is. It's it's you know evil and and uh, uh, it's it's all, this awfulness. Like I just I'm like I'm sitting there watching these 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 young people, you know, exposed to this kind of uh, venom and this kind of of resentment, and just like wow, so. Um, it's, you know, I, I, anyway, again, but yeah, it does speak to your own experience of your own family. I just, I just don't think, uh, I don't think I, or, and I know members of my family would not put up with that and without getting into, into too much of uh, oh, sure um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so so uh, but I guess we have to agree to disagree on that, one, Stephen, but uh but we did uh, agree on Radioactive, which was another film we both got to see um at Finn and it's available to be seen. Um this is and I again, pr- excuse my pronunciation, Marjane Satrapi, who uh I think is best known for being an animator and a and an illustrator and a writer of Persepolis, the uh the, the, the her experience of, of having grown up in Iran um, this is uh, is live action uh, feature film and it's the it's a biopic of Marie Curie uh, starring uh, Sam Riley and uh, Rosamund Pike and uh, Pike it's really Pike's movie she plays the lead role she's great she's you know reliably good but uh, the film structurally and um, uh, script wise is pretty conventional it does fall into some of those biopic traps it is a gorgeous looking film though i really enjoyed the production design the the colors the lighting uh the all all of it uh really i think i think it's worth seeing but it's it's just uh but it's flawed for sure uh steven what what did you make of it
1: i think we're pretty much on the same page here gorgeous film it's i mean it is a great historical story about an, an amazing woman and it does put you know some of that aspect of her life about being a woman in science which was, and academia which is a completely uh you know male run uh you know environment at the time and what she had to go through to kind of assert her own views and her own theories and her own um, advances uh and and certainly that is uh you know front and center over the course of the film but yeah it does you just kind of get the story that you expect to get i guess i i don't know that i necessarily learned a whole lot about uh about curie over the course of this film i got the feeling that maybe it was just like the french government wanted to celebrate one of its you know one of france's major icons in a film and and put a lot of money into it and got a you know a known director and a, and a and a known star to uh to kind of put it across it's shot in hungary not in france but um You know, I guess that's the nature of trying to shoot a big historical drama in this day and age, you know, in terms of locations and cost reduction. Uh, But I don't regret watching it. I mean, Pike is very good. And uh, as you as you say, the the visual um, splendor of the film is 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 fairly, fairly impressive. And, uh, you know, some people may not know this history so well. So there's there's numerous reasons to watch it. uh, But it's not necessarily something that you should put aside another Film Fest uh, entry. To um, to rush out and see. I yeah, I don't know. Um, this is uh, Satrapi's. I think it's her second uh, live action feature. She made a comedy with Ryan Reynolds called The Voices, about a guy who listens to the voices of his evil talking pets. Which would, <laughs> I don't well, remember no, that one at nobody all. Nobody does. It was it was from 2014. It was shot in Germany, and it kind of it kind of came and went without a trace. You know, the the fact that a Ryan Reynolds movie kind of was made and vanished. Uh, almost immediately says something I guess about about that. But um, you know, I, I'm sure this will this will find an audience, and you know, we'll get seen in high school history classes and what have you. but uh, but yeah, i was I was hoping for something maybe a little more daring, a little more, um, you know, maybe cutting edge in this story of uh, Marie Curie. Hi, and welcome back to the fall Film Festival edition of Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook.
0: I'm Karsten Knox.
1: And right now we're in the heart of Finn Stream, the online version of the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival. And we've certainly been bing- binging on films from uh, across Canada, from outside of our borders. At least films can travel outside of our borders, even if most people can't. But uh, but of course, a big reason for this festival to exist is to promote the work of local filmmakers. And, and there's uh, a terrific uh, number of features from from all the provinces this year. And that's, that was great to see. And, uh, you know, and to see them from outside of Nova Scotia, there's films from PEI, films from Newfoundland, films from New Brunswick. And, um, you know, and uh, all fairly kind of low budget, independent, uh, using mostly local cast and crew. And that's, that's something we're always happy to see. And uh, one of those films is Bone Cage. It was part of the, uh, the script was part of the telefilm talent to watch program a couple of years ago. Um, uh, adapted by Taylor Olson uh, from the play by Catherine Banks. He uh, read the play in theater school, and then he got to um, appear in the Matchstick Theater production of it, and uh, he was just so taken with some material for the first time he read it. So when it came time for uh, Taylor, who's an actor, writer, uh, and, uh, and filmmaker, um, for him to, to make his first feature as a director, uh, this just seemed like a natural project for him. And uh, and he really he really embodies uh, the main character in this film, uh, you know, full bore. He plays he plays Jamie, a a man who lives in rural Nova Scotia. He works in the forestry industry, but he's kind of torn by his reliance on that industry for uh, for a living, especially as he's about to start a new life um, with his uh, fiance, uh, who is Krista, played by Ursula Calder, who's kind of a newcomer to uh, the screen world, although I believe she uh, worked with Taylor on a limited uh, TV series that I think might have been done even for cable. Um, but uh, you know he, he wants to start a new life with her um, and he's feeling the pull of his family. He's got a father, uh, Clarence played by Christian Murray, a fun local actor that uh, you probably know from over the years for uh, his uh, work um, as, a, as an actor and also as a member of the uh, uh, just in time theater uh, comedy theater troupe. And uh, he's got a sister, uh, Chickie, played by Amy Groening, or Groening, who's who's um, uh, been in a number of uh, local productions in recent years. And uh, he's just very conflicted about his choice of careers, about feeling trapped in this small town, Nova Scotia, where he feels uh, out of place. He doesn't feel like he fits in with uh, the people uh, around him. And he's thinking about maybe moving out to BC where obviously there's a bigger forestry industry, more opportunities, but also just a chance to start over and, um, kind of shed some of these demons that are haunting him. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very intense film. Uh, you know, he has panic attacks and he's, he's, he's also concerned about what this industry is doing to the wilderness. He tries to save animals that are either injured or displaced by the forestry industry, uh, to, with varying degrees of success. And, uh, you know I, I and as someone who is you know my partner works in animal rehab, so I felt a tight connection to that uh, subject matter. and uh, yeah i I just felt it very affecting, very moving and uh and very very well made considering uh, the budget they had to work with for this,
0: yeah, and I, I'm with you there, stephen. i I feel pretty much exactly the same way. I thought it was a really strong effort, especially when you consider that Olson is directing he adapted the screenplay and he's acting in it. I mean, this is his baby, and he. He does all of these things really well i, I really felt like the film uh, captured kind of the grit and the intensity and the um, uh, and the anxiety of the lead character in a way uh through the direction and through uh, and through his performance which I thought was a plus uh yeah it uh it it should be a calling card for Olson going forward that he you know he's serious about what he's doing and that he uh he has a lot of skills. I hope that people get to see the film and that uh, he, you know, this he'll use this as a springboard for a for a career as a filmmaker going forward. And I think what what I've heard is he's got a couple of opportunities. He's gotten some um, uh, funding for uh, future uh, future projects. So uh, so yeah, this is uh, Bone Cage is terrific, and uh, and it also I think you know, like like Murmur and Werewolf before it, I think captures a side of the uh, of our nova scotia life that uh isn't you know you don't see in the uh, in the tourist board ads and uh and i think that that's important to to show as well like these are these are real stories of people you can you can believe these people exist and that the sort of life these issues are are part of uh of uh you know of, of life in rural areas it's, it's i'm i i was I, I was quite taken by the film um and I was taken by Little Orphans, which is a film from Newfoundland and uh, a sort of a comedy drama, a, a family comedy drama about three sisters who get together in St. John's for one of their weddings. Uh, Gwen, Emily Bridger, is, she's also the screenwriter here. She's uh, she's one of the sisters, probably the lead sister, the one that we get to know first. Um, and Janet is the younger sister, uh, Martha Bernard, who's... Uh, is getting married, and then they're the third sister, the so-called, quote-unquote, bad girl, Kay, played by Rhiannon Morgan. And uh, they're really awesome, these three performers, very plausibly sisters. And uh, it's a sort of delightful, there's a lot of laughs, but there's a lot of moments of truth as well in this this film uh, that really does a, a good job of sort of capturing... You know the life in in uh, a, a, a family and friends within this sort of community in St. John's, um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I I I didn't love the film entirely. I felt like in the third act there were issues around a couple of the scenes that didn't quite <laughs> yes. didn't quite feel like they they gave me the catharsis that I wanted for the characters. But but overall, I really enjoyed it from actor turned director Ruth Lawrence, and uh, yeah, it's it's really solid.
1: Yeah, there are a few loose threads, I guess, late in the film. Uh, but I guess, I guess that's life, uh, I suppose. But but <laughs> I, I I I really uh, really thought this was a strong film. Uh, that it, it goes from hilarious to heartbreaking within like the <laughs> blink of an eye, uh, and uh, that's you know again very very true to life. Uh, the characters are very fully realized. Uh, you know the way they interact in their conversations. Uh, do feel very true very real and uh, i thought i thought the performances were outstanding i like that it didn't dwell on the past it 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 makes references to it it hints at it and you kind of have to draw your own conclusions like for example the fact that you know the three sisters appear to have basically been raised by their aunt uh their aunt maureen played by kyra harper who i recognized immediately from or from black of all things um but uh and you know they're they're kind of hoping their mother will come to this wedding and see her daughter get married and they'll you know maybe confront some issues with her and all that kind of thing um you know whether or not that happens i'm not going to reveal but uh the 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 lurking specter of their mother and what effect she had on their uh their childhood and their adult selves is is always felt but it's never over explained it's 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 not uh and it doesn't need to be it's just clearly they had a mother who was not a fully uh, present parent and uh, they've had to kind of you know make their own way and poor poor uh, aunt Marine got left holding the bag in in a number of different ways as we learn over the course of the film and uh, and that's heartbreaking as well um and you know especially when she you know confronts one of the daughters and kind of you know says that you know how hard things have been for her uh and uh yeah i just uh i just love the the way of that all three kind of sister storylines are intertwined and and uh, handled over the course of the film.
0: Yeah, I did too. And, you know, it's funny to bring it back to falling. Uh, here we have, I think, a more <laughs> honest representation of the, uh, you know, the way that the next generation has to deal with the mistakes and the issues of the previous one. I felt that that was, it was much more straight ahead. And I believed it much more than I did in falling where I felt like the, the saintly compassion of the uh, adult children was uh, just unrealistic. Um, yeah yeah and so so that is and that film is called little orphans and uh that's i hope people get a chance to see that as well it's still now i think showing. that was yeah. a gala oh it was I think a gala, that was a gala. Uh, um, right right so and uh, so we yeah. you can't see
1: it now but there'll yeah. be other opportunities down the road it's, it's it's a newfoundland film and i'm sure there'll be other opportunities hopefully in the theater um it's it's a beautifully made film it's, it's you know it's uh, it makes really great use of saint john's area locations without being trying to look like a tourist ad <laughs> and uh and, uh, it's funny in my notes, I think I wrote down that it was like, it was like fallen turned inside out you know, so <laughs> in, in, instead of the overbearing parental figure being present, we have a mysterious and, uh, you know, uh, neglectful parent figure being absent. And yet their absence leaves this gigantic hole <laughs> for everyone to kind of fill in their own with their own thoughts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we want to mention also a a film from New Brunswick called Queen of the Andes. And I actually don't quite understand where this title comes from. I don't know, Stephen, if you've figured it out. I think it's the name of the algae that uh, the main character is working on. Right. It's about this main character. She's a scientist in the near future. She's brilliant and she's about to have a big breakthrough with her work. And then she gets drafted into a mission to Mars. In this near-future society, there's no refusing the honor of a trip to Mars. And um, Pilar, uh, played by Bria McNeil, who was in uh, Werewolf, she, um, she is this, uh, this character. And uh, uh, she is a scientist, and she has to go. And so, but instead of telling her family, all the loved ones around her, including her partner... She uh, decides to keep it from them, and so that she can just, I guess, in her mind, enjoy the time that she has left with them without, you know, worrying them too much or making it feel like she's about to go to a death sentence. Which, you know, in their lives, I guess it's an allegory for for terminal illness because she's going away for a long, long time. For some of the people in her life, it will definitely be the last time that she sees them, and uh, it's an interesting allegory because uh, it you start to realize pretty quickly how selfish her decision-making is and how the consequences um, of her actions start to have real, real issues. Uh, and at certain, a certain point, she decides, well, she's going to try and find every way she can to avoid going on this trip. And then the tension becomes whether she can succeed in doing that. Uh, and within this sort of fascistic society, um, I thought this film was super ambitious from writer director, Julian Akerman. Uh, I, I don't know that it all works. I feel like... I feel like that the lead character is her... She is so selfish that it's it's really hard to sympathize with her at a certain point. And, uh, and even though the performance is good, I, I didn't... Uh, I couldn't... There, there I found myself holding back because I just found her decision-making really hard to get my head around. But, um, but you know, at, at the same time, uh, I really... I, I thought that the... The, the films, as I said, the film's ambitions are really impressive. What did you make of it, Stephen?
1: Well, as someone who is sort of half from New Brunswick stock, I'm always happy to see more great art come out of uh, the province to our left, <laughs> to our west. And uh, and I was really looking forward to this film just to see what uh, what Jillian had accomplished. This is her first feature, I believe. And it seemed like a really ambitious uh, subject and, and uh, subject matter. I was wondering how she was going to treat uh, what is essentially kind of a a very human struggle, but in uh, in a kind of a sci-fi framework, especially after having recently watched Interstellar for our uh, for our Christopher Nolan show. Um, you know about a, a similar kind of idea, but with like all the money in the world to play with, and here having, you know, whatever's in your savings account to play with. And I I, I enjoyed how they addressed the concept, how they pulled it off. I, I like the performances. Brea McNeil is terrific here as, as pilar who has to make a bunch of really tough decisions and you're and you're right she's not always easy to read she can she's she sometimes is a bit of a blank slate and um, and she does kind of waffle back and forth on her decisions a little bit too because um she's just really between uh a, a mars rock and a hard place literally because it's just, you know she 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 stands to lose so much no matter what she does like every every decision that she can every option that she has is is going to be a loss in some way shape or form but i i i liked how creative uh jillian was in presenting this story in um you know having this kind of dystopian sci-fi setting without actually having to do very much to uh Bring us into the near future. I mean, obviously, people are going to wear the same clothes. We've been wearing the same clothes for the last 20 years, it feels like. So, uh, 20 years from now, probably won't look a whole lot different. And um, no,
0: it has a, it has kind of a retrofuturist quality. Yeah. with The flip phones and the people have CDs on their shelf, so it's an interesting sort of choice to go in that direction. Yeah,
1: it kind of reminds me of some of those early Cronenberg films, and maybe Fahrenheit 451, Truffaut's adaptation of the ray bradbury novel which is also you know was you know even though it's from over 50 years ago it was set in a future that didn't seem that far down the road so i i don't know if that was an inspiration or not but i got a similar feel from this and and there we have a, a lead character who's faced with similarly difficult decisions to make so uh and uh, and it has kind of a stark um almost cold quality and I, I felt that uh queen of the andes shared some of that as well but But overall, I thought I thought uh, for a first feature and a fairly ambitious uh, subject uh, that it it did a great job at at pulling that off and still being a a compelling drama, especially with all the, you know, sort of some of the handmaid's tale kind of implications of, you know, forest reproduction and that kind of thing, which will go into effect when they actually start to colonize Mars. So. That, that, that aspect of it was fairly terrifying as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. was pleased to see it myself. Um, so last on our list for this segment before we move on to talk about documentaries is a film from Manitoba, uh, or at least shot there, called Percy, directed by Clark Johnson, who as an actor, he's an actor, director, producer, but I think he's, as an actor, still probably best known for having been in the fifth season of The Wire, uh, Canadian uh, an American actor. Um, and it's based on the true story of Percy Schmeiser, who was a farmer in Saskatchewan in the late nineties. He was sued by Monsanto, the of course, the global agribusiness conglomerate uh, Monsanto include uh, it, it accused Percy of growing canola seeds that included their patented tech. Um, and he, uh, Percy claimed to have done it unknowingly. And uh, he went to court to protect his business and his reputation which led to the case going all the way up the ladder to various courts, uh, various appeals, all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court. Um, and uh, it's an entertaining sort of Canadian issue film, the kind of genre that we do not see very often from Canada. Uh, you know, and it's uh, – I found it really engaging. I don't know that it's quite up to the standards of sort of Aaron Brockovich, which I sort of think is like one of the ho- – the, or, or Silkwood, you know, some of the best – of the uh, issue films, but I really did like it. I, it certainly compared favorably to the recent dark water, which I saw last year with um, Mark Ruffalo, uh, except just kind of lighter in tone. It has a more playful sort of um, friendly kind of vibe to it. Uh, and it's full of, you know, quality American actors. Uh, and I guess that speaks to the quality of the script and, and maybe Johnson's reputation. Uh, Christopher Walken plays the lead, Percy, and uh, we've also got uh, Christina Ricci in there, and Zach Braff, uh, Martin Donovan, uh, and uh, and a, a, a bunch of uh, of solid uh, Canadian actors as well, um, Adam Beach and Roberta Maxwell. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a film that I I was surprised how much I enjoyed. in in a way because i wasn't sure what to expect going in but uh but i liked it uh
1: i i thought it was a little odd that there were so many americans in some of the major and minor roles considering it was uh you know set in saskatchewan shot in winnipeg but uh, but i guess you have got to do what you got to do to sell a film uh beyond its uh it's um beyond its borders and certainly uh walkin's performance is reason enough to watch this he's he's very uh, believable as the farmer he has this kind of Life has kind of beaten, beaten him down to some degree. And this is a chance for him to kind of kick back at all the things that have kind of come at him at, over the years, as with any farmer who's, who's trying to run a independent family farm. It's it's not just Monsanto and, and, and the big corporations. You know, there's the weather and and the markets and all these other kind of things. So uh, and this just seems to be the last straw that he's being accused of of stealing uh, something that you know, should be available to everyone, which is just the right to grow crops and, and, um, you know, sell them so people can eat. And, uh, it's, it's a, it it comes down to the kind of the basic, uh, elements of life and, and, and the rights to those elements. So I, I, you know, there is, there is a real current modern, um, feel to the film in terms of what it's saying about, uh, you know, corporations butting up against the things that are most, um, most important in life. And I think we're going to talk about that a bit more in our next segment because we've got the new corporation uh, amongst our documentary uh, watches. And I', I will be talking about more about that next.
0: So on this episode of Lens Me Your Ears, we've been talking about film festivals, the fall film festival season well underway. Finn Atlantic International Film Festival happening right now as we speak through uh, this week. Um, and uh, another festival starting up very soon uh, is Lunenburg DocFest and I mention that because documentaries is what we're going to talk about in this segment. Uh, We've seen a number of documentaries playing at Finn and a couple of them also actually will be playing at the uh, Lunenburg DocFest amongst others but uh, uh, just the titles, some of the titles we've got in mind, Bread and the Bones, No Ordinary Man, There's No Place Like This Place Anyplace, and The New Corporation, an unfortunately necessary sequel. Oh, and I also saw Citizen of Moria and The Forbidden Real. And you know, these are, uh, they're all worth seeing, I want to just say, in case we don't actually get to all of them to discuss in the time that we have left. These are all really interesting documentaries, and I'm really glad to have had a chance to see them. Um uh, a couple of them, I guess you could say, are from our local, Bread and the Bones from Daryl Varga, who is an artist, uh, filmmaker, uh, works, uh, a professor at NASCAD. He, uh, he's done this documentary, a look at the cultural impact of bread through the eyes of poets, artists, historians, and bread scholars. Uh, in fact, there are people who, who study the impact of bread, and uh, I, I found it fascinating, especially how it examines... Um, how bread is important to immigrant cultures and migrant peoples. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, I think it's one of those foods that we all just take for granted, as always, ha- always being there, a staple, right? But uh, bread is uh, is really important, and it's it was a it was a, it's a fun film to sort of get your head around how important it's been historically speaking.
1: Yeah, it's just a little over an hour, but he really. Crams in a, a lot of information and observation and it's, it's visually quite fascinating as we look at uh, bread culture and bread traditions in places like Sofia Bulgaria and and how uh, traditions there are meshing with the diaspora of immigrants uh, and refugees who are coming from you know, Mediterranean area countries in the middle east and and how that's kind of changing the fabric of society and also the fabric of our palate uh you know obviously it's about more than just bread but uh but i, I you know i was kind of using, my brain kind of went to other areas about how how our, our our diet and our our cultural and culinary worlds are so intimately uh connected and it's very thoughtful uh, it, it's it's deep without being pretentious or preachy. And I just thought Daryl did a great job with, uh, you know, a subject matter that could have gone in any direction. And I thought he did a really great job of tying it all together.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he does do a little bit of like what I call sort of like a sort of normal psychedelia. Like there's elements of it. I'm like, what, what, <laughs> what is happening here? We've got a voiceover, you know, some po- poetic thoughts about bread. And then you get some interesting visuals going on. It isn't, I, would, I wouldn't call it necessarily straight ahead, you know, fact-based documentary. There's there's some sort of more arty uh, flourishes, but uh, you know that might be to your taste as well. I, I did appreciate that he uh, he really had a a sense of confidence in his storytelling to to try different kinds of things to express you know his his main subject. Um, uh, and we also watched uh, No Ordinary Man, and this is a a documentary investigation into the late jazz musician Billy Tipton from Aisling Chin-Yi and Chase Joint. Uh, and uh, it is uh, it is someone I didn't know anything about, a jazz musician who hid uh, his sort of biological gender. Uh, and uh, it's about him, but also about the reaction to his secret when it was revealed. And then where we've come to since then and the culture of trans uh, and, and through the lives of people who... Uh, our performers uh, are interviewed through the course of the film and I found it such a compassionate wonderful look uh, at not only a, a person who was I guess influential and and very uh um you know he he uh he was a uh, someone who has been sort of whose efforts and whose whose life has been recontextualized in 2020 in a way that uh that I found like fascinating but really it was just all the voices that speak in the film and their personal experience and their understanding. I felt, I felt this was, uh, was an, uh, it, it gave, it gives the audience a look into, into a culture that maybe some people don't know very much about. And it, 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 uh, it felt, it felt really warm and welcoming in a way that, uh, that I was really touched by the film. I, I felt like there, this is a story of heroic, uh, courage, and uh, and I, I was I I really got that from it. It's like this is something in a and that that I, I a story that hadn't been told in this way before. And so I, I really I really loved it.
1: Yeah. Considering there is this kind of rising tide of transphobia that we are witnessing happening as we speak on social media and out there in the world, uh, you know, just to be able to know about their lives and their struggles uh, in this case of of of. Mostly trans-masculine people, but there's also some uh, trans-feminine uh, speakers in the film as well, just to, to give it some balance. Um, and to contrast what's happening now with what Billy must have gone through, because, of course, some of it's conjecture. We don't know everything about Billy's life. Billy obviously kept things fairly fairly private, um, but uh, t- t- to balance what must have been an incredibly difficult life uh, to be the person you wanted to be as Billy was for so many years um with what should be less difficult but somehow isn't for so many people um i I thought was really enlightening and 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 really heartening too because this community is finding its voice they're connecting with each other um thanks to the same social media that's also broadcasting more hateful material uh and and uh hopefully the ultimately the change will be for the better uh and uh you know, I would like to know more about Billy Tipton's story. I, they're kind of limited in, in what uh, material is available. So that's why they, they brought these transmasculine actors to to play out scenes from his life as they did or may have a court may have occurred just to kind of give voice to his personality in a way that he wasn't able to during his lifetime. And I just found that whole process uh, utterly fascinating.
0: Yeah, no, it is, and it's it's a great way to approach this kind of material. I thought it was a really unique and uh, and creative way to uh, to get across the uh, the subject matter. Um, no, it's it's really good. Uh, no ordinary man is definitely worth seeing. Um, interestingly, uh, there's no place like this place. Any place kind of does a similar thing for the issue of gentrification and affordable housing by approaching a subject through a single. Uh, subject sort of a single issue or a single place, which is the uh, destruction and the development of Honest Ed's, which is uh, for those who might not know a uh, landmark in Toronto. It was at the corner of uh, Bloor and Bathurst. A, uh, a discount store it was there for decades, and a big part of the neighborhood. And uh, along with it, Mervish Village, which sort of collection of galleries and businesses and artists and studios. All of which have been destroyed, uh, removed uh, as part of a big development. Uh, and um, the documentary is told uh, by one by Lulu Wei, who is actually has a personal stake in this. Um, and it shows the history of this this business, and then speaks to a lot of people affected by this development. And includes uh, interviews with the developer themselves or representative of the developer. It's a, it's a great way of showing how. The cities are changing in in Canada, and especially in Toronto, where where it's become for a lot of people completely unaffordable to live in. Uh, you know, and the idea that this development generally bringing density to cities is a good thing for a lot of reasons, but it doesn't actually equate to more affordable housing or more affordable living for people living there, and it can actually destroy communities. So it's it's definitely shows both sides of that story. I lived in Toronto for many years in this in this neighborhood uh and so it it really affected me personally. I felt both a nostalgic twinge and a kind of like sad realization that the city that I know or I knew is no longer um and uh for better or for worse it's it's all it's all going i really I really loved going to suspect video, which was a a great underground video store in right in the honest ed's building it's gone now sadly but uh boy what a cool spot that was and that uh things like that just uh, just can't survive
1: yeah i was uh i was deeply moved and affected by this uh, documentary i i kind of went in not knowing uh exactly what the focus was going to be i just knew it was it involved honest ed's which is a place i visited quite a number of times over the years on trips to toronto and i uh, was very sad to see it go but to see the struggle that replaced it to, to ensure that that neighborhood, you know, kept some, uh, some relatability and some livability for the, for the people that had called it home, you know, that, that, that was truly heartbreaking. And just the fact that 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 honest eds was a place, you know, where anybody could go, uh, regardless of their status in life or, you know, what their, uh, what their pay scale was or whatever it was a place that was open to everybody and it, you know certainly uh, was one of the first places that that immigrants and people coming from outside would go to furnish a home when they'd arrived in Toronto or Canada without anything but the shirts on their back and so on and uh, you know it was that and and Ed Mervish was a man of the people or at least that's what he liked to put forth so to see to see that transform into you know high rises that cost three thousand a month to rent a, a, a small you know one bedroom apartment in you know it just as is, is heartbreaking you know and we see the same thing happening here in Halifax you know we've got the Bloomfield school uh, development uh, about to get underway and uh, you know people want to say and what happens with this space that used to be a community center It was an old school and then all of a sudden it was being used by co-ops and and community groups and so on and just to turn it down and tear it down and see it turned into more faceless apartments and co-ops is not what anybody wants so I, I think there's a lesson to be learned from this film as far as what's going to be happening uh, here on our own turf.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And speaking of progress, we need to, for the little time we have left, we should mention The New Corporation, an unfortunately necessary sequel, which is a great, (laughs) great title. But uh, people will remember The Corporation from 2003, which was a left-leaning, eye-opening documentary exploring the idea that corporations are considered to have the rights of an individual, but when the filmmakers examined the personality of that individual, they found it to be a psychopath. And that was an entirely compelling framing of how corporate entities have taken over modern Western society. And then the new film just basically updates that, that message for, for where we are, uh, 17 years later, it's no less chilling. Um, you know, although it seems more like maybe a call to action, more politicized than ever. Uh, and, uh, it's about, uh, you know, how creative capitalism, corporations have re- rebranded themselves as having a conscience because that's what the public expects, except it's maybe just another seduction, another way to sell something to us. And corporate elites, you know, they, their profit making has gotten even higher, even at times like this during a pandemic. Um, and... Uh, and people are are suffering. The difference, the the chasm between the rich and the poor is greater than ever, which tends to suggest that you know that that lack of fairness it, it really shows how capitalism has failed us and continues to fail us, especially when you keep in mind the the uh, uh, climate crisis. So. It's a it's a hard watch but it's actually very well done with a lot of great interesting people sp- uh, spoken to. I uh, I found it a little horrific but definitely worth seeing. So this has been Lensmere Ears our Fall Film Festival online edition. Thank you so much for listening. We did not Quite have enough time to talk about all the documentaries we wanted to. I did want to give a shout out to Citizen of Moria, that is about the uh, the refugee camp in Greece that actually just recently burned. Uh, this is a documentary about one of the uh, of the the residents of that that camp. Uh, a filmmaker told from his perspective, from a first person perspective of what it's like in a refugee camp in Europe, and the biggest one at the time, and it's really also essential viewing, I would say. It's really powerful stuff and, and really humanizes the experience of what all these people are going through when they travel, uh, take their lives into their hands and travel Across the Mediterranean. Also a heads up to the Forbidden Real, that's Ariel Nazers. Uh, he's an Af- a Halifax-raised Afghan Canadian, and his film is about Afghan cinema and how it was saved from the Taliban. And it's also really terrific uh, for cinema lovers out there to the importance of, of filmmaking to a community, to a culture. Um, now, uh, thank you again for listening to Your Ears. Um, we are available if you want to reach out to us. We have a Facebook page, and we're also on Twitter on Your Ears. And, Stephen, you have a Twitter handle as well.
1: Yes, I'm at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E.
0: Uh, I also am on Twitter. The name of my blog is called Flaw in the Iris. Wanted to say thank you so much to CKDU for the studio facilities and for airing the show every second tuesday at 5 30 of course we are doing this remotely these days but uh, we do expect one day hopefully soon to be back in the studio recording face to face and thanks so much to our producers at village soundcast network for all you guys do really appreciate that and uh, thank you so much for listening and we will be back again soon take care
1: thank you see you virtually at the film fests.